0: Good afternoon and welcome to another Virtual Legality. I am your host, Richard Hogue of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about a fun little new lawsuit that has developed around one of my favorite top 10 games of the year in 2018, Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, And while we talk about it, we're going to talk about the fact that it's very easy for people to engage in lawsuits with one another, so it's it's not that hard for any particular person to sue Rockstar or anyone else. Some of you may remember some of the suits that were brought against Grand Theft Auto V. I believe Lindsay Lohan, Lohan brought a suit against Rockstar in respect of one of the characters in that game, claiming that that was a depiction of her. Uh, but here, while we're talking about Red Dead, we see that there has been a lawsuit, or in particular in this case, a cease and desist letter given by the Pinkerton Detective Agency, or more precisely, the the current owners of the Pinkerton trademarks. And uh, we've got here an article from Engadget that says, the real Pinkertons aren't happy with Red Dead Redemption 2. The detective agency wants Rockstar to pay up or face a lawsuit. Um, So they've basically given a letter to Rockstar as his Pretty much standard practice for someone that doesn't want to go down the litigation path right from the offing and if you're thinking about litigation strategy you almost never want to just file a claim because you can send a letter to the other side and maybe they're willing to give you the amount of money that you would have ultimately asked for in a lawsuit or some amount approaching that amount and and then it will make sense to have given a letter get the money and not pay the lawyers anything because at the end of the day the legal cost is the real barrier Uh, between you and getting recompense uh, in a litigation context. So we see here the first paragraph of this article, the Pinkertons loom large as virtual adversaries in Red Dead Redemption 2, but now they're involved in a very real legal tussle over the game. Pinkerton Consulting and Investigations has sent Rockstar Games a cease and desist notice, claiming that RDR2 used the company's trademarks, including the Pinkertons National Detective Agency badge, without permission. It also alleges that the game will tarnish the reputation of the trademarks by portraying the 19th century detectives as foes, according to court documents obtained by the blast. Pinkerton made clear that it wanted money in the request. It was happy to talk about a lump sum figure to settle the case and was prepared to sue over trademark infringement and other violations if there wasn't a payout in the cards. Rockstar, Rockstar, however, isn't having any of it. And so I think... With that as the basis for our kind of uh, background for what we're talking about in respect to this action, what we've got is the Pinkertons, who are a real detective agency, who are depicted in Red Dead Redemption 2. For those of you who haven't played it, there's not really a lot of spoilers in this, other than the fact that the Pinkertons do appear. They're depicted as essentially the white hat cowboys, the folks that go out and try to hunt down the gang. Uh, And in, in Red Dead Redemption 2, like in a number of Rockstar games, you're outlaws and you are Uh, Members of a gang that is doing things like robbing trains and robbing banks and otherwise creating trouble for some of the people uh, in the world of Red Dead Redemption 2. And the Pinkertons are those uh, that come chasing after you. And and some of them engage in in, uh, bad acts in doing so uh, on the auspices of it's more important to to get you guys to nail the gang down uh, than it is to follow the exact letter of the law. Uh, and so that's really, I think, one of the th- reasons the Pinkertons have a problem with Rockstar. Although, as we've talked about in prior videos, as we've talked about in Help Us Out Hug, the fact of the matter is, where there's money, there will be lawsuits. And Red Dead Redemption 2 has been a fantastic success, just like some of the other things that we've talked about that have resulted in lawsuits, like Fortnite. When you have those fantastic successes, when you have a lot of money flowing into somebody's pockets, it's pretty much... Uh, the normal operating procedure for the lawyers of whomever might be even tangentially affiliated with that product to at least look in their files and see if there's any reason they might be able to claim some portion of that cash flow. So you do see some dancers claiming some Fortnite money. You do see here the Pinkerton Detective Agency saying, hey, we appear in a number of missions in that game. Maybe we should send a cease and desist and see if we can get some money out of Rockstar uh, because they are making so much money because Red Dead Redemption 2 has proven to be so successful. So they send that cease and desist letter and then Rockstar says, oh, no, no, we're going to file a lawsuit seeking what is called a declaratory judgment that is essentially going to ask the court to say, uh, hey, before they sue us, before anything goes down that's more problematic than it already is, can you please say that we're not infringing on the Pinkertons trademark by uh, including their name and their badge and some of their kind of likeness trademark, uh, trade dress in our video game. We'd really like that declaration so that this can all go away and we can stop being asked to pay money to these folks that had nothing to do with the game. Uh, But as we're gonna talk about in this video, uh, as much as Rockstar wants to dismiss it out of hand, and I think they are probably more likely than not to, to win their case, uh, it is not the slam dunk that maybe their action portrays it as, uh, which basically just says, we, under the First Amendment, we can make video games because they're expressive. It's not quite that easy given the Trademark Act and some of the provisions therein. And I want to talk about that a little bit uh, because I think there is a lot to unpack there. So let's go into the Rockstar uh, complaint, the filing requesting a declar- uh, declaratory judgment and just kind of go over some of the things that make up that complaint. So if you are listening to this on podcast, we are looking at a document right here. This is all available on the YouTube video, but I'm going to try to read the lines that I'm talking about uh, so that everybody's on the same page. So we're just going to scroll through this. As is traditional with legal documents, it's very long. Uh, We've got it listed here as 39 pages. A lot of this is stuff that can be skipped. A lot of it is about jurisdiction and venue and kind of the boilerplate that needs to go into any kind of legal document to make sure that it is accepted by the court uh, and follows basically the rules of of a filing. Um, but basically, they say here uh, we're plaintiffs, we're Take Two and we're Rockstar, and uh, we're suing uh, the defendants, Pinkerton Consulting and Investigations and the Pinkerton Service Corporation, uh, essentially because uh, we got this cease and desist. So they say we are bringing this judgment to remove the cloud that defendants have created over their recently released video game, Red Dead Redemption Two. As discussed in detail below, Red Dead 2 is a historically accurate video game set in the Wild West in the late 1800s. Now, we're going to come back to that because on its face, uh, that is a false statement, at least as far as I'm concerned sitting here. They say they are a historically accurate video game set in the Wild West. Uh, For those of you who haven't played Red Dead Redemption 2... Uh, It doesn't take place in America. It doesn't take place in any known locations. It takes place only in fictional states, uh, in fictional cities. And I did uh, get a map ready here to talk about this just a little bit. Um, You can see here a kind of zoomed out map. I didn't really want to spoil anything. There aren't any obvious missions here that give away anything. Uh, We're just looking at a Google image search for those of you listening. Uh, But you can see here uh, New Hanover isn't a real state. Lemoyne isn't a real state. West Elizabeth isn't a real state. Valentine isn't a real city. Saint-Denis isn't a real city. What they are are they are evocative of things that Rockstar wants to talk about. So Saint-Denis is very clearly a kind of turn of the century New Orleans. Valentine is pretty much a stand-in for every kind of dusty, Deadwood-esque, plains-based city that one can think of. New Hanover is kind of that Kansas, Nebraska, Dakotas type look. West Elizabeth is, is a more mountainous mining, Colorado-y region. Lemoyne is Louisiana. But they aren't those places specifically, nor do they really claim to be. Rockstar wanted to tell a story in a location, in a fictionalized place that is evocative of the Wild West, but isn't the Wild West. Uh, and so in terms of its accuracy, and this is important when we start talking about the Trademark Act, It's not specifically accurate as much as it's emotionally accurate or kind of contextually accurate. It's a historical fiction, but it's not even a historical fiction that is using places like London or New York or Los Angeles or things like that. It's a historical fiction that is purely historical fiction on the premise that the players uh, or the watchers or whoever is interpreting the work understands that this is supposed to be roughly 1900 American Wild West type setting. Uh, and that's why there are horses. That's why there are trains. That's why the post office works the way it does. Um, and that's why Rockstar is going to claim the Pinkertons appear. So let's go back to the, the claim in and of itself. Uh, they say, in plaintiff's depiction, among numerous other historical elements, they have included references to the historic Pinkerton National Detective Agency and Pinkerton Agents, which at that time played an infamous role in law enforcement. Defendants claim to hold trademark rights in the names Pinkerton Detective Agency and Pinkerton, which are used in Red Dead Redemption 2. So they're admitting that they're used, as they must, because they are in the game. Defendants assert that plaintiffs have infringed those rights by referencing the historical Pinkerton National Detective Agency and Pinkerton agents and using the Pinkerton National Detective Agency's historical badge in the game. By doing so, defendants ignore well-established First Amendment principles that protect expressive works like Red Dead 2 from exactly the types of claims that defendants have lodged against plaintiffs. Put simply, defendants cannot use trademark law to own the past and prevent creators from including historical references to Pinkerton agents in depictions of the American West. Uh, So... The First Amendment, I don't know that I need to go into any great detail here because I suspect that most of you that are listening to this or watching this video know what the First Amendment says, but it's a very short amendment. It's the first uh, provision in the Bill of Rights to the American Constitution. It says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which isn't really pertinent to this or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So what we're really concerned about here is Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Uh, And if you're at all familiar with United States jurisprudence, with constitutional law in general, you know that there's a significant amount of wiggle room that the government has allowed itself for what amounts to abridging freedom of speech and what amounts to... uh, Common sense regulation of freedom of speech. Uh, and one of the things that they did uh, that kind of opposes the freedom of speech concept in its abstract is the notion of a trademark in general. So if you're not familiar with what trademarks are, they are essentially uh, the ability of someone to say where their products or goods or services come from by establishing a set of words a logo trade dress uh, a look that establishes that they are the purveyors of those goods or services so we know trademarks by brand names today so we know that burger king is a trademark we know mcdonald's we know coca-cola we know duracell we know all of these different names represent hey when you've got a battery and it says duracell on it it means it came from our company and The United States has viewed that as a necessary good for allowing the freedom of commerce to allow people to identify their own goods and services uh, against other people's goods and services. And they created an act, the Trademark Act, which you might also see references the Lanham Act. Uh, And it basically says uh, that if you wind up trademarking something and if it's legitimate, then nobody can use your name or your mark in a way that is deceptive, in a way that is misleading to the populace. Uh, And one of those ways we see here in 15 U.S.C. 1125 uh, is uh, false designations of origin uh, and dilution of the trademark rights. In particular, we see here that in 15 1125 A1, any person who or in connection with any goods or services or any container for goods uses in commerce any word, term, name, symbol or device or any combination thereof or any false designation of origin, false or misleading description of fact, Or false or misleading representation of fact, which is likely to cause confusion or to cause mistake or to deceive as to the affiliation, connection, or association of such person with another person or as to the origin, sponsorship, or approval of his or her goods, services, or commercial activities by another person shall be liable in a civil action by any person who believes that he or she is likely to be damaged by such act." So even though the Constitution says we won't abridge freedom of speech, this act, which has been upheld as of yet and which Rockstar isn't claiming to challenge on constitutionality grounds in and of itself, although it might come to it if this case were to proceed too far, uh, this this act says, "Hey, you can say anything you want, but you can't say something that is likely to cause confusion, especially as to sponsorship or approval of goods." Uh, if you don't own the trademark to those goods, if you're not in privity of contract with that person, if you don't have a license to use that name. Uh, And in the instant case, we have a rock star game that uses purely fictional locations, but includes one real honest to God registered trademark in a very specific way. And the trademark holder, the Pinkerton agency here says, hey, this is depicting us in a bad way. And while we don't think that we make video games, we don't think anybody's going to be confused that this is a Pinkerton video game, we do think we're starting to get into an area where potentially this looks like we sponsored the game, that we were affiliated, that we had licensed our naming rights to the video game. And if it's likely to cause confusion as to sponsorship, which we are very much against because they don't like the way they are depicted in this video game, uh, then we have a right under the Lanham Act, under the Trademark Act, to say, hey, you owe us damages and, and we should figure something out. Uh, and so as, as much as it might seem like a case that is essentially um, uh, usefully finding a sack of money in which to put their hands, uh, their case is not one that I think can be thrown out just out of hand. Uh, I, I do think, as I said at the start of this video, Rockstar probably has the better case insofar as the Pinkerton name has been used before in other contexts. Uh, it's not uh, the driving force behind Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, But it is used in such a way, and they are portrayed as essentially the villains of the piece that are trying to hunt you down and using uh, potentially problematic means to do so, uh, that the way the game is actually structured with so much fiction uh, that the use of nonfiction, I think, actually creates a potential problem for them. But we're going to go on and look at a little bit more of what Rockstar has to say. Red Dead 2 is a gripping Wild West adventure which tells the story of an outlaw gang being pursued by bounty hunters and mercenaries. Among the gang's pursuers are agents of the historic Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Red Dead 2 is set in a huge virtual American landscape that recreates miles of Western lands from mountains to rivers and from pristine lakes to newly industrialized towns. Again, when you listen to this, this is what Rockstar wants to portray. This is what they are claiming is true. I think it's worthwhile to note how much they are eliding the issue when they say that they recreate miles of Western lands. Recreation sounds like they are taking something that's a topographical map of somewhere, that they're making Kansas, that they're making North Dakota, that they're making Nebraska, and that's why the Pinkertons make sense in that context, and that makes sense from a legal perspective. That's what you want to say because— One of the main defenses under the Lanham Act, under the Trademark Act to use of a trademark is essentially in just kind of describing the way things are in using a trademark because that's historically appropriate. Or if you're taking a camera shot of a city, uh, if you're in downtown New York and a couple of brand names happen to pass by while you're covering Times Square, that that's not trademark infringement solely because it's included in your video or in your movie or in your video game because that's what's actually there, that it's a depiction of what is actually there and you're not really endorsing anything in particular with the brands in question. So they want to say, hey, we just made Kansas. We just made Nebraska. We just made Colorado. We just made Louisiana. And there were Pinkertons there in 1900, man. Uh, But the fictionalization of what they've built here, I think actually creates a very interesting kind of legal question. And it's not one that I think I've seen Uh, dealt with, uh, although I'd be perfectly happy in the comments or otherwise to hear from anybody else that's seen any kind of case law on record that kind of discusses, hey, we fictionalized most everything, but we included a couple of these real elements, but we still want to include those real elements as essentially historical or as descriptive of the tableau in question. Uh, So they are eliding that issue. I understand why they're doing it from a legal perspective, but it's worth calling out because it's not purely accurate as to what's happening. Uh, They go on and they they go on, on along this line. It is an established historical fact that the Pinkerton National Detective Agency played a key role in the history of American law enforcement. The Pinkertons were there. They were they were there in 1800s. They were there in the 1900s. Indeed, because of their centrality, which is, that's, that's a law word, if ever, in the zeitgeist of the American West, Pinkerton agents have long been a staple in works of historical fiction about the Wild West. Many of these works are discussed below. Now, this is, again, an interesting legal tactic. Uh, they are going to have a long list. There's going to be pages and pages of things that have included reference to the Pinkertons. And some of these make sense. Some of them are small references. Some of them are large references. Uh, but in general... The law doesn't just say, hey, other people did it and they didn't sue or they got away with it. And so even if they were illegal, you should let us be illegal, too, uh, because these other guys did it. Now, it's useful from a kind of circumstantial evidence kind of debate to say, hey, uh, we think this has always been kind of an assumed trademark. It kind of depicts a, a historical moment. It's not really thought of as the current Pinkerton Detective Agency. Etc., etc. Uh, but the long list is not terribly compelling to my eye uh, because it really doesn't mean anything other than uh, other people have gotten away with it or they have used it. And I think many of the examples that they use can actually be explained uh, for other reasons, such as they are actual historical depictions. They bring up something like Deadwood. And while that might be historical fiction, it is an actual location with actual people dealing with actual things that happened at the time. And so. It is, uh, I think, more justifiable under the rules that allow for trademarks to be used to depict actual life, to depict historical circumstance, to depict real locations. Um, In Red Dead 2, Pinkertons are hired by an affluent businessman to hunt down a Wild West gang that has been interfering with his business interests. The inclusion of Pinkertons in the Red Dead 2 story is neither excessive nor exceptional. So here's they're saying, we don't use the Pinkertons that much. So at bare minimum, we should be allowed to do it on a kind of de minimis basis. Of the 106 missions that comprise the 60-hour storyline, my goodness, is that game long? The Pinkerton characters appear in only 10. So we've got 106 missions, not of all of equal length. and The P- the Pinkerton characters appear in 10. So we're looking at about 10% of the story-based missions of the game, uh, which is interesting. They say that that's de minimis. I think if they were otherwise held to be infringing and we were just to adjudge this on a basis of whether or not their use of the Pinkerton name was de minimis to the actual game that they created. I think 10% is approaching the line where you say, hey, that's not de minimis at all. And we actually have to break this down a little bit more than just number of missions, because there are a couple of missions there that are going to be two minutes long. And there are a couple of missions there that are a half hour long. And we really have to talk about what is the import of the Pinkerton quest lines versus the other quests. And I would argue that the Pinkertons in general, because of their prominence in kind of the chase storyline, how they drive the gang across uh, the various fictional states in the Red Dead Redemption 2 world are at bare minimum have a more emotional prominence uh, than some of the other quests uh, like caring for your horse or things of that nature. So I think that if this were to come to a place where you have to really discuss whether or not they were prominent enough to, to indicate sponsorship or indicate trademark infringement, it would have to be a more detailed deep dive than simply 10 missions out of 106. Although, even on that basis, I think maybe they've got a problem because that's that's not an insignificant percentage of their game. Uh, Rockstar goes on to say, Moreover, expressive use of the term Pinkerton in a historical story set in the Wild West to describe a Pinkerton National Detective Agency employee is common in historical entertainment. The term has been used in films like The Long Riders, television shows like Deadwoods, songs like Elton John's Ballad of a Well-Known Gun, and books like the Pinkerton Detective series. Uh, again, some of these are going to be... Uh, potentially good examples for rockstar to use some of them are not you know you've got deadwood that's a real place that's real stories from real people Uh, I think that presents a a bigger issue than a Red Dead type scenario. I'm not familiar with all of the other references here. I suspect the reference in Elton John's song would be characterized as de minimis, a very small reference in a a musical composition is not quite the same as depicting Pinkerton agents hunting down cowboys, which is the traditional way that you think about these things with the Pinkerton badge, with the Pinkerton name, and then saying uh, everything else is fictionalized. So one could infer a certain kind of sponsorship relationship. Plaintiffs' references to Pinkerton Detective Agency and Pinkerton are protected by the First Amendment and do not infringe any rights held by defendants. The Pinkerton National Detective Agency is part of the history of America. Uh, Indeed it is. Creative works about the American West are permitted as a matter of law to include such real historical events, figures, and businesses. Particularly where there is no likelihood that consumers will be confused about the source of the creative work, trademark owners should not be permitted to use trademark law to harass authors, chill speech, and diminish the historical tenor of works like Red Dead 2. Historical fiction would suffer greatly if trademark claims like defendants could even possibly succeed. But again, we're not really talking about a depiction of the real American Wild West. The question has to be, why change the state of Louisiana's name? Why change the state of Colorado's name? Why change Kansas or Dakota or whatever New Hanover is supposed to represent in Red Dead Redemption 2? Uh, Why change uh, some of the other references? You use a fictional uh, Indian tribe's name uh, to discuss their plight in uh, in the time period depicted in Red Dead Redemption 2 you don't use gun makers names as far as i'm aware uh in red dead redemption 2. so if you do take all of this fictionalization if you do take all of these steps to fictionalize your world presumably because you don't want to have these problems you don't want to have these references to real world you don't want to have people thinking about the real world equivalences of the story that you're telling and you also don't want to get in trouble with people that might own the brands or might otherwise uh, be able to bring claims like the Pankertons are bringing here Why then did the Pinkerton name survive whatever process you were using to fictionalize your world? And if you do have that one real world aspect, does it not begin to look like a need for speed video game that only uses uh, non licensed cars except for Ferraris? And could one not say, hey, it's very likely that the Ferraris, uh, the Ferrari company licensed their uh, depiction rights to electronic arts to make that need for speed game and again we're talking about products there so it's slightly different but i want to get you in the mindset that's really talking about we've got a purely fictional world with maybe only one real world brand in it and i'm not sure if there are other real world brands in it but certainly the vast bulk of red dead redemption 2 is fully fictionalized so when you have that situation and i'm not sure there's a great analog to this in the case law. i certainly couldn't find any while preparing for this video when you have that overt fictionalization and that one real world element that real world element sticks out it's a red flag it's a it's a it's a siren it's a giant red light that says hey Maybe that should be uh, thought of differently. And it certainly could be deemed by a court that were inclined to do so to imply a sponsorship to say, hey, since everything else was fictionalized, the things that are real in this video game, they must have had a licensing deal. They must have had a sponsorship deal. And if they didn't, uh, a reasonable mind could assume that sponsorship deal. And now because you're depicting them so badly, maybe you do run afoul of a trademark issue. But what Rockstar is trying to do here in this claim, and I don't blame them, I don't blame their lawyers for taking this tact at all, is essentially to not really argue the finer points of law. Their their point is to say, hey... Movies, television shows, video games, these are all entertainment media. We have long had a strong protection under the First Amendment for making expressive works, from using uh, trademarks and brands to comment on them, to use them in depictions of things like historical significant locations, historically significant geographies, uh, and that should be allowed uh, no matter what. But I think this presents a far more interesting case than Rockstar is letting on. Uh, They then go on to describe the cease and desist letter, which we talked about at the front end here. We start getting into a a depiction of the parties, talking about who's involved in the case, jurisdiction and venue. They have to establish that the court case that they're bringing is legitimate under the rules of civil procedure under the laws of that state. Here's a case in New York. Uh, they repeat their allegations. They start talking about Red Dead 2 uh, is a creative work. It takes 60 hours to unfold. There's some fun stats in here. It's comprised of 500,000 lines of dialogue and 300,000 animations. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's quite a lot of work. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 was created over a seven-year period by over 2,000 people, including writers, actors, musicians, artists, animators, designers, and programmers. Uh, it then goes over the Red Dead Redemption 2 plot a little bit, and we're not going to dive too deep into that. We already talked about the notion of uh, how many missions are involved uh, and whether or not the Pinkertons are in enough missions to really create a problem here. And then we talk, start talking about historical accuracy of Red Dead 2. So these are actual claims that they've made to a court of law uh, that they are attesting are true and uh, legal for, for their purposes. Red Dead 2 reflects historical events and characters to immerse the player in the game. Red Dead 2 contains multiple plot lines based on historical events. Red Dead 2 contains a plot line centered on the U.S. government seizure of Native American land. The Native American land plot line is based on real historical events, including the seizure of the Black Hills from Native American nations in the late 1800s and the treatment of the Osage tribe by the government in the early 20th century. And I do apologize for the pronunciations here, uh, as I'm not familiar with the uh, entirely appropriate way to pronounce these necessarily. But... 36 raises its own question. So that's what we just talked about. The Native American land plotline is based on real historical events and the treatment of the Osage tribe by the government. It's very interesting to note now when we go and we look at what's actually in Red Dead Redemption 2 that it's not the Osage tribe. It's not any actual uh, Native American tribe, any actual Indian tribe at this time. Uh, It's a tribe of Indians that they call the Wapiti, which is, uh, I believe, a word that is used in in real Native American languages, uh, but it's not a tribe that actually exists. Uh, And so what they were doing there is they were fictionalizing these concepts. They were taking the real plight of some of these Native American tribes, and they were putting them into a fictional context and incorporating them into Red Dead Redemption too. So they clearly know how to do this. If I'm sitting here and I'm the Pinkerton's lawyers, I say, hey, look, Uh, you know how to not offend. You know how to not take advantage of trademarks or other naming rights that some people might have, like uh, the Osage people, if they uh, have a trademark in their name or or trade dress or anything else like that, or other Native American tribes that might be offended by their inclusion in this fashion or or just by their inclusion for a commercial enterprise like Red Dead Redemption 2, where you're uh, essentially taking advantage of their historical story and of their plight. So Rockstar was smart enough in this instance with these tribes to know, hey, we have to fictionalize this to avoid this kind of issue. And we don't want to take advantage of their trademarks or their naming rights or any other intellectual property that they might have uh, for a commercial enterprise like Red Dead Redemption 2. So they know how to do it. They just didn't do it with the Pinkertons. And that raises the question of, Why not just call the Pinkertons something else, the detective agency or the Blankertons or anything else that would be better than than this Midwest lawyer can come up with uh, on a January afternoon? But because they didn't do that, it's very interesting uh, that they are so tied into, hey, this is an accurate depiction of the West. It's more an emotional evocation of what the West is meant to be. And again, that raises that red flag that lights that red light with use of an actual real-world licensed term in their video game. Uh, It goes on to say, in one scene in Red Dead 2, Arthur encounters a suffrage rally and discusses women's suffrage with them, again, depicting things that were happening at the time. Uh, The gang of outlaws on the run reflects the historical presence of fugitive uh, fugitive criminals across the American frontier and the historical attempts to apprehend these gangs uh beyond historical events red dead 2 contains a variety of details that enrich the historical setting including the uh, including the inclusion of historical new technologies available in the late 19th century such as the electric current railroads mechanical men and the hot air balloon red dead 2 contains historically accurate weapons options designed to reflect real technology available in the late 1800s they attached clips to the actual uh, thing that they were depicting. But just like we talked about with respect to the Native American tribes, you've got here, Uh, The Guns of Red Dead Redemption 2. I pulled up an article from Range 365, which is not a website I'm familiar with, but appears to be very much into uh, guns. And they have an article here called The Guns of Red Dead Redemption 2 that talks about the guns that are in the video game. And so we see just a couple of examples here. Uh, The Buck Cattleman uh, is a gun, the Cattleman revolver. And you can see all these references to it in the various detailed kind of brochures and manuals that are in the video game itself. They have it listed here as AKA the Colt Single Action Army, uh, which is uh, a a popular real-life gun. So you see, the the discussion here in this article says first up is the buck cattleman, a visual dead ringer for the Colt Single Action Army, but not named the Colt Single Action Army because undoubtedly Rockstar knows better than to use the Colt name and a depiction of a gun that is actually made by a real world company in a manner that wasn't licensed, because Colt would come after them and say, hey, uh, you didn't license uh, the use of this gun, ga- uh, the the use of this gun or the the gun's name, and this goes on throughout the list of guns in the game, uh, the. Cult New Army, and Navy uh, is the, uh, a.k.a. the M1892. The Showfield is a.k.a. the Smith & Wesson Model 3 Showfield. And this goes on and on. It's an interesting article. I will link it in the description. But suffice it to say, Rockstar took many steps in many areas, including Native American tribes, including the city names, depictions of those cities, including the guns and the weapons, to fictionalize them, to not have them be a part of real-world licensing. Uh, Part of that might be for creative purposes. Part of that might be because their lawyers and their counsel on their end knows better than to, in particular, deal with the known-to-be litigious gun manufacturers who, frankly, have made a lot licensing their guns to video game companies and knows to follow these types of things to look for opportunities to go potentially get some of that licensing money if they weren't talked to. And Rockstar might have the same case if they wanted to bring it up to to include the Colt and some of these other more famous guns uh, and to say, hey, these were part of the real historical American tableau at the time. And so we want to use them in order to present that. And so they should not be able to block us solely with their trademark names or with their patents and their designs. uh, And they might well win that as well. Uh, But it is certainly worth bringing up because they did take these steps in a different way than they did with the Pinkerton name. And I think that's an interesting thing to note. Uh, As they continue on, they talk about historically accurate flora and fauna, includes music that is historically accurate to the time period and and music that isn't historically accurate to the time period if you've played the game. Uh, Red Dead 2 features a racially and ethnically diverse set of characters Uh, A lot of these are essentially just descriptions of the game. Some lawyers getting paid by the line and not particularly useful to the case in question. So they're not pertinent, but you can see here essentially how litigation documents go, how these things work. You're you're putting together a picture that you want the court to say hey we worked on this forever we followed all the rules it's historically important that we use the Pinkerton name and so we're going to add all these extra claims because we want you to know that this game was a big worthwhile endeavor that we're not bad actors that we don't have unclean hands that we don't deserve to be punished and you want to depict the other side as essentially saying hey they're just trying to get involved in this seven-year process of 2,000 people they want to take a little bit of money for a reason that they it shouldn't belong to them so it's essentially an equitable argument that the court shouldn't give them any particular amount of money they shouldn't abide by what they've claimed here they shouldn't allow this cease and desist because this was a lot of work and they put a lot of people to work and it was something that didn't really uh result in or wasn't based on the pinkerton name it wasn't making its money for that reason Uh, the the van der lane gang has historical parallels to butch cassidy and the wild bunch an outlaw gang that operated during the end of the Wild West and was ultimately chased out of the country by the Pinkertons. But again, that the Vanderlyn gang is, is notably not Butch Cassidy and the Wild Bunch. It's notably not a specific actual gang of outlaws in the Wild West. Red Dead Redemption 2 is not intended to be even a historical fiction of actual people uh, in, in the contemporaneous period. It's, it's a complete fictionalization. Uh, recognition of Red Dead 2's historical accuracy. This is fascinating to me. So they, this is a section where they wind up talking about a lot of quotes from video game reviews about how accurate it is, which, uh, is interesting. Uh, the, uh, one of the, one of the articles, the depth of the game's content borders on the inconceivable. There is so much to do to, and see in Red Dead Redemption 2 at, that at times it can feel overwhelming. Uh, that's not really a d- depiction of accuracy at all. It's just merely saying that the game is large. Uh, The New York Times opined that a new American epic for the digital age, it is a literary experience that emphasizes and simulates tragedy and personal consequences. Again, Red Dead Redemption 2 is great, uh, but that doesn't really speak to historical accuracy. Articles also have acknowledged Red Dead 2's historical accuracy. They note its importance and how it adds to the player's overall experience of the game. Not actually a depiction of any specific articles there. For instance, in the article, How Historically Accurate is Red Dead Redemption 2?, IGN, a popular video game, probably intended to be a popular video game site, stated Rockstar Games has gone above and beyond to make the world seem deeply believable while functioning within the parameters of an open world entertainment experience and praises the realism of its broad themes. The article went on, here's hoping that Red Dead Redemption 2's success in deriving such a measure of historical reality paves the way for more period pieces in gaming that vault us into an illusion of lifelong past and reward our curiosity with learning and discovery. Uh, and then they attach a copy of that article. Uh And that's an interesting quote. Uh, You'll see that it doesn't actually talk about the actual realism, the actual historical depiction of things that happened in the American Wild West, because it can't. It's a fictional Wild West. It does talk about how it feels, that this is probably how the Wild West feels. This is how we've at least interpreted its depiction in modern media. And so Rockstar is trying to put these claims up with these video game reviewers that say, hey, this is obviously historically realistic. It's trying to inform the court that is very— very unlikely to have played red dead redemption 2 that a lot of people think that it is historically realistic however the fact that those people think that the fact that ign writes an article like that is really not dispositive to the court uh, except for the the level of uh establishing that some people do think that and that could be useful in kind of the broad strokes sense they also have an article here about how the audubon society really likes the number of birds in the game um the Guardian says Rockstar aims to provide players with a Wild West fantasy so authentic that you can forget it is not real, and other things like that. They talk about the marketing of the game, which did not include any Pinkerton marks, and I think that's fair. I think that's a good claim for them to make. They didn't advertise with a Pinkerton badge. They didn't have Pinkertons involved uh, in their... Uh, in their. Uh, Uh, billboards in their commercials things of that nature i'm not entirely certain that there are no pinkertons in any of their trailers they kind of pull out from these claims they have a discussion of a number of the launch trailers Uh, they said red dead 2 has three launch trailers Uh, each of the launch trailers displays plaintiffs trademarks and logos red dead 2 has a trailer related uh, exclusive early access uh, for the playstation 4 players Uh, but it doesn't really state that there are no references to Pinkertons anywhere in those trailers. So I would have to go and look at those uh, specifically to determine whether any Pinkertons appear in those trailers uh, in and of themselves. Uh, And so that's an interesting question uh, itself, but I I don't know that it's dispositive one way or the other. The Pinkertons aren't really apparently claiming that They marketed it based on the Pinkerton name, that this was endorsed by the Pinkertons or that the Pinkertons are a major part of the video game, as much as those that actually play the game could be interpreted as believing that the Pinkertons sponsored the video game itself. Uh, Rockstar's next set of claims is about depicting what the Pinkertons are today, what their badge looks like, how they operate. Uh, It doesn't look to me, having read through this section, that there is anything to be really countered there. They're just talking about... Uh, what the Pinkertons are. And then they have a section that talks about the Pinkerton references in media and popular culture. And this is a long series, a number of pages talking about the television series that they've appeared in, like Wanted Dead or Alive in 1959, and Bronco, and the High Riders, and Crusties, and the Young Riders, and Dead Man's Gun, uh, and Deadwood, and Ripper Street, and Boardwalk Empire, and Copper, and Calls of the Heart, and things of this nature. Some of these are really old, uh, and some of these did not... Uh, take place in a same litigious environment that we would expect modern folks to sue for their rights or otherwise defend their rights. And so they are of limited usefulness in the modern context. Some of them are more new, like Boardwalk Empire and Deadwood. As we've talked about, some of these have the issue of actually depicting real world events, real people taking place in real places. And so they have a stronger claim to using real things in their storylines, like Deadwood. Uh, and, And some of these might have similar situations. And again, we do get into the case where, as Rockstar is trying to claim here, some of these might use them in a kind of de minimis fashion. If you've got a show, and I don't know all of these by far, but if you've got a show like Copper... And, it only, and a Pinkerton agent appears in one episode out of 30, that probably is de minimis compared to them being the driving force behind making the gang go on the run in Red Dead Redemption 2. So I think you have to kind of take these things apart, even if you want to use them as a basis for saying the Pinkerton name is used all over the place because every single case of potential trademark infringement, every single case of potential copyright infringement or anything along those lines is a different one. It's one of the things that makes copyright law and intellectual property law in general so ambiguous and so tiresome and so difficult to know when you're advising a client on either side of the spectrum to say, hey, we definitely know this is going to happen if we make this claim, because you just don't. Most of these things are, we'll know it when we see it in the hands of a judge or potentially in the hands of a jury, and you have to go through the entire process to see whether there's trademark infringement occurring or not. Uh, So this long list is nice. They've got a number of uh movies here mostly in the 40s and 50s uh with Pinkerton agents I think you get up into the 1980s uh, they have a couple in 1990s uh of movies uh and uh I think the the last one that I saw here was maybe the 310 to Yuma in 2010 so it does have a reference to Pinkerton agents ab- uh, appearing in the beginning of that film uh, and you've got the same kind of uh, situation where you're talking about what is real, what is not, and whether it's purely fictional uh, or not in using the Pinkerton name. And then they say, uh, again, the Pinkerton agent appears as a description of a character in at least 21 film descriptions on the Internet Movie Database. Uh, that So they believe that Pinkerton agents appeared in those as well. They've got references to a bunch of books. Uh, and other media, including in in the video game side of things, Bioshock Infinite, where the main character is a former Pinkerton agent known for his violent methods in putting down strikes. Uh, And that's probably one of the better claims to make, because in that case, uh, Bioshock Infinite, the the main character, is essentially depicted as a kind of bad guy, and certainly a bad guy after his time with the Pinkertons, and the Pinkertons are depicted negatively. Uh, But again, that question becomes, using that name, uh, and I'm not really sure whether they ever wind up using the badge or other kind of logo uh, uh, indications of the Pinkerton trademark. Using that name in that capacity is a similar type of claim that they're making against Red Dead Redemption 2, which is that you're essentially negatively depicting us, and maybe somebody could be convinced that this was a kind of sponsorship arrangement, because Bioshock Infinite is nothing if not fictional. Uh, It is a floating uh, cloud city, Uh, built on uh, racism and on ghosts and time travel Uh, check that game out if you haven't already Uh, and so it does feature a similar kind of claim to what we are seeing here and that's that's one of those that I think is the best but again it comes down to how was the Pinkerton name used? How often was it used? His background in that video game is not that important. It's not the same kind of thing as the driving antagonist moving your gang around for 60 hours of gameplay. And so one could differentiate those cases, which is what you would have to do if you were the Pinkerton's lawyer, if you were trying to defend their claim against Rockstar in this specific instance. Um, in respect to the Pinkerton agents in Red Dead 2, they say, consistent with past works, Red Dead 2 uses references to Pinkerton agents in its depiction of the Wild West and the early 20th century. Uh, at the bottom of page 29 of the guide, in a list of characters appearing in Red Dead 2, the Pinkertons are described as a detective agency established by Alan Pinkerton. The Pinkertons are private agents hired by the U.S. government to track Western outlaws such as those from the Vanderlyn Gang. Pinkerton detective agencies appear in 10 of, out of over 100 total missions in the main storyline. Uh, We talk about a few plotline issues here, which I won't bring up separately. Uh, A cinematic cutscene is essentially a short video that seamlessly integrates with gameplay that furthers the story of the game. Again, talking to the judge uh, on the premise that they have never played a video game before. And that's important when you're filing legal documents to essentially assume that those who will be reading them don't know what you're talking about. So you have to take these steps to say, hey, here's what a cutscene is. It says, players first encounter agents from the Pinkerton Detective Agency during a cinematic scene in which Arthur is fishing by a stream with his friend's son. Uh, It says the silver shield-shaped badges in Red Dead 2 are not the same design as their star badge. It shows the images that depict the Pinkerton agents. It talks about what they actually do in the video game. We're going to skip a bunch of this because I don't really want to get into spoilers on Red Dead Redemption 2 at this point in time. Um, It has now a number of places where it says that they don't use the Pinkerton name. Just like the marketing section here, they don't use the cover. They don't use it on the front cover of the game. They don't use it on the back cover of the game. They don't use it in their promotional t- uh, trailers It say they do not use the word Pinkerton or the badge. Uh, so I suspect that one or more of those trailers has the actual Pinkerton characters appear in them uh, because I think you would probably take the step to, uh, to establish that. It says it does not show reference to them, uh, but that's a little bit unclear, and they certainly don't have to appear in the trailers uh, in order for the Pinkertons to make their case here. Uh, so it then describes the cease and desist letter a little further. Uh, it talks about what, the, what it wants the court to do, and it wants a declaratory judgment of non-infringement under the First Amendment. It simply says, Red Dead, Red Dead 2 is a creative work reflecting creative choices in plot, setting, dialogue, animation, and other artistic elements. Thus, Red Dead 2 is, prote- is protected by the First Amendment. Uh, Under trademark law, the use of a mark in a creative work that is artistically relevant to the work and not overtly misleading is protected by the First Amendment. This is true. In such circumstances, it is black letter law that the First Amendment precludes a trademark infringement claim. Unfortunately, that's what we would call a naked assertion. So it just says, hey— We've talked to you about what is happening right now for 30 pages. We don't think that it is overtly misleading. And so under the First Amendment, you have to strike down their cease and desist. But it doesn't really talk about the tension that we've talked about already between uh, the the Trademark Act and between the First Amendment. Uh, it just simply says First Amendment precludes it. You should strike it down. And this is what we might describe in terms of litigation strategy as this is so obvious, Judge, that we don't need to go into details. We don't need a long list of case law. We don't need to discuss a long list of things that describe what we're talking about here. We've listed things for 35 pages. You should be convinced at this point. The First Amendment is paramount. This is an entertainment product. This cease and desist is clearly unwarranted. You should throw it out. Uh, and uh, that's a bold strategy. I think it's a good one in a lot of cases where essentially you think somebody is a bad actor and they're just trying to take your money, that you can go in and say, hey, look, there is absolutely no reason why they should get this money and we want to throw the case out of court, and that's what they're doing here. From my eye, looking at, as I have, in respect of Red Dead Redemption 2 in particular and the Trademark Act and the First Amendment and what are the claims here, I think that perhaps this is a little bit disingenuous in so far as there are actual issues with what they're doing here, they did not create a historically accurate Wild West. They very deliberately did not create a historically accurate Wild West. And so the use of a specific name in that context is probably a different question than a purely historically driven, hey, we just want to be as accurate as possible. If that was the case, if this was a documentary, if this was something that was trying to depict a place, a location, or a time as accurately as possible, then they've got a much better case, which is exactly why for 30 pages they tried to establish that to Red Dead Redemption 2, historical accuracy was paramount. When anybody who's played the game, not just because of the fictionality of the states or the fictionality of the guns or the fictionality of the Native American tribes, knows that it's not designed to be historically accurate it's designed to be evocative and to make you think of the wild west and that's all well and good but the question remains under the law whether that's close enough to count for use of an actually historical legitimate registered trademark in depicting what is otherwise a fictional world uh, and i have my doubts about that they also ask for a declaratory judgment of nominative fair use plaintiffs repeat and reallege each and every allegation above De- defendants' marks are not used as source indicators. They don't say that uh, Red Dead is somehow made by the Pinkertons. Pinkerton agents cannot be readily identified without using the defendant's mark. So we can't we can't identify a Pinkerton without calling them a Pinkerton. Red Dead 2 uses Pinkerton and the historical Pinkerton badge to refer to the historical Pinkerton National Detective Agency. To the extent that they use defendant's marks, plaintiffs only use as much as is necessary to identify the historical Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Consumers are not likely to be confused about the source, given its extensive use of its own logos and trademarks. Under trademark law, the use of a trademark to reference or describe the trademark holder's business is permitted where the business cannot be readily described without the use of the mark. The mark is used only as necessary to describe the business, and the use is not likely to cause confusion accordingly. Our use constitutes normative fair use and is not trademark infringement. Now, now let's talk about nominative fair use for just a second. Uh, and so, the easiest place to talk about it, as is so often the case with the internet, is actually Wikipedia. Uh, I don't love a lot of their legal documentation here. Sometimes they are a little too uh, glib or a little bit too uh, short form to really talk about extensive legal kind of concepts. But I think here, just to talk about what they're talking about with respect to nominative use, it's a useful kind of description and summary. And then we're going to dive into what the Trademark Act section actually says that gets you to this interpretation of the trademark law. Nominative use, also nominative fair use, is a legal doctrine that provides an affirmative defense to trademark infringement as enunciated by the United States Ninth Circuit, that's the, that's the West Coast, uh, by which a person may use the trademark of another as a reference to describe the other product or to compare it to their own. Nominative use may be considered to be either related to or a type of trademark fair use, sometimes called classic fair use or statutory fair use. All trademark fair use doctrines, however classified, are distinct from the fair use doctrine and copyright law. Yeah, they're, they're very different. However, the fair use of a trademark may be protected under copyright laws depending on the complexity or creativ- creativity of the mark as a design logo. The nominative use test states that one party may use or refer to the trademark of another if the product or service cannot be readily identified without using the trademark. So we saw Rockstar try to establish that. Hey, look, we can't talk about Pinkerton agents without talking about Pinkertons. Uh, Which is fair, although one has to ask, what is the distinction between a Pinkerton detective and just a detective or bounty hunter or other kind of government affiliated group that you might otherwise be able to name with the same kind of fictional concepts that you've otherwise named New Hanover and Lemoyne and everywhere else in your Red Dead Redemption 2 universe? The user only uses as much of the mark as is necessary for the identification, the words, but not the font or the symbol, et cetera, et cetera. And Rockstar claims that as well. And they claim that by saying that we're not using the most common badge that the Pinkertons use. But they are using a variant that looks a lot like one of the Pinkerton badges that was has been used historically. So there is a question there about whether, hey, could you have just called them Pinkertons and not had them have badges that look like Pinkerton badges on their shoulders, on their clothing? And that's a question that if this went further than just a summary dismissal, or in this case, a declaratory judgment, would have to be answered by the courts. Did they actually meet this prong of the test? And the user does nothing to suggest sponsorship or endorsement by the trademark holder. So that's why Rockstar says, hey, the Penkerton badge doesn't appear on the box, it doesn't appear on the billboards, it doesn't appear in the trailers, etc., etc. That's an interesting question. I think there is a essentially a novel legal question for what's presented here, which as we've discussed in this video, as I've discussed over the length of time that we've been talking about this, is there an action that suggests sponsorship when you have only one or very few real life trademarks and brands used in an otherwise fictionalized context? I think that there is a case to be made that that is in fact what is happening here. Uh, and I want to equate it with something that is one of my favorite pieces of pop culture, uh, in the past 20 or maybe 30 years at this point, uh, based solely on math. And, uh, I am getting older as the years go by. Uh, but that's a movie called Demolition Man starring Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, uh, from, I want to say the early 1990s. Uh, and in that movie, a future Los Angeles is depicted. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a movie in which Sylvester Stallone gets cryogenically frozen and is brought back to life essentially in the far future, I think at the 2030s, uh, to fight Wesley Snipes, who is a criminal that the current police force can't deal with. Uh, and in that movie, one of the things that they show is that all restaurants have become Taco Bells. Uh, And it's really the only brand reference that is made in the movie uh, is to the the fact that all restaurants after the franchise wars have become Taco Bells. And so they have a fancy Taco Bell dinner uh, where they discuss things with the the mayor of Los Angeles and plot uh, items are uh, talked about. And I do recommend watching the movie. It's It's an absolutely fantastic one, especially if you like old 1990s kind of kitsch action. But the very fact of the matter is, Because it's a futurized world, because there's nothing else in the movie that really can go to being licensed, it is fair to assume that Taco Bell licensed the use of their name in this movie. It's a fictionalized setting. Uh, And if you assumed that, you would be right. As a matter of fact, Taco Bell's use in Demolition Man is one of those interesting kind of case studies where people talk about, is this one of the movies? Is this one of the pieces of pop culture where branding went too far? Uh, And did it actually wind up turning off people to Taco Bell? It also has an interesting sidelight that I believe in Europe and some other jurisdictions, Taco Bell wasn't used. It was actually Pizza Hut uh, because of the way licenses work and because of the ownership uh, rights and the distribution rights of of the various movie channels. And so... It's fair for someone to assume when you've got this kind of setting, when you've got a fictionalized world where nothing is real, nothing kind of equates to the time squareness of it all, that when you see an actual brand, that that brand was working in concert with, in this case, the movie makers, but in the case of a, a video game with the, with the game developers, I think there is a case to be made that what The Pinkerton name and logo being used in Red Dead Redemption 2 symbolized was that the Pinkertons were on board with their depiction of this game. And I think it's not a a slam dunk argument. I'm not even sure it's a winning argument, but I think it is an argument that if made by the Pinkertons might get them to survive a declaratory judgment, might get them to survive a summary dismissal of their court case because this is so unusual. And it does call to mind certain other cases where The video game people where TV people where movie people have worked extensively to potentially blur out images or otherwise avoid indicating that they have a sponsorship connection with a product in question. And usually you see that done. Sometimes you see it from overzealous folks blurring out everything on, on MTV or blurring out everything in old 80s shows. But usually you see it done where somebody can properly identify that the brand is being used in a fashion that maybe people don't like. Uh, So if the serial killer in your movie talks about how much they love Coke and how much Coke makes them like serial killing, that's maybe one of those where you say, hey, maybe that's not a great idea. Because even if we're depicting something like the modern day, and maybe he could really like Coke, that maybe that doesn't make a good uh, look for the brand holders of Coca-Cola. And maybe even if we would ultimately win on something like this, maybe it's a close enough question that we don't get it kicked out of court uh, and we don't really want to get sued. So to me, as a lawyer, it's a bit of a surprise that Rockstar didn't change the Pinkertons to something else. It's, it, one could imagine you could play off the word pink and Pinkerton come up with something that was a similar type of detective agency, a similar type of role without getting into this difficulty uh, with, the, with the real life Pinkerton detectives. Uh, and it's a little bit uh, interesting that they decided not to do that. Uh, and one last thing that I wanted to talk about was, uh, the actual language used in the act that gets you to the place where we're talking about nominative fair use. And this is a little bit legal easy. So I apologize in advance, but I did want to just kind of bring it up because whenever you're talking about, um jurisprudence whenever you're talking about the way courts interpret laws and we just saw in the wikipedia entry how the courts have kind of made three pillars that someone using a trademark has to uh, meet in order to get this nominative use treatment it's always interesting to go back to the statute To look at what the court based this on, because oftentimes that's a place where you can potentially argue that the original jurisprudence was wrong or that it's misleading or that uh, we need to look at things a different way. Because at the end of the day, the way the law works, yes, the First Amendment, yes, the Constitution is the highest law of the land. But then there's the statutory authority. That's the actual law of the land and then there's the jurisprudence. Then there is the case law that has been years and years and years of courts and judges interpreting the statutes. So one object is always to go back to the statute and take a look at what it actually says so that you can talk about potentially interpreting that statute in a different way or a way that is more useful to your client if that is uh, what you're doing. And so here we have uh 15 USC 1115 which is another part of the trademark act that we've already discussed and I'm going to try to shorten this up a little bit because as you can see I want to talk about B here there's so much legalese it can get a little bit lost in the weeds but we're going to talk about B4 which this says to the extent that the right to use a registered mark has become incontestable under this act so to the extent a trademark has been registered it's legitimate it exists um The such conclusive evidence of the right to use the registered mark shall be subject to proof of infringement as defined in this title, but shall be subject to the following defenses or defects. So I did a little uh, on the fly legal revisions, a few elided dot dot dots there. But this section says, even if a trademark is validly registered, even if it totally exists and they have all the exclusive rights to use their name. It'll be subject to the following defenses. Somebody can use it if they can show uh, one uh, or another of these things. And number four is what we're interested in. So it says that the use of the name, term, or device, so Pinkerton, charged to be an infringement is a use otherwise than as a mark, so not as a trademark. You're not using it to try to indicate that you are the Pinkertons, that what you are selling is a Pinkerton product, is a Pinkerton service, and nobody is accusing Rockstar of that. Of the party's individual name in his own business or the individual name of anyone in privity with such party so that we can get rid of so that's saying uh you can use it if it's yours uh or of a term or device which is descriptive of and used fairly and in good faith only to describe the goods or services of such party or their geographic origin so you can use reference to a trademark to a brand name simply to depict it as it existing as a good or service So, again, when we talk about this, when you're depicting New York Times Square and you happen to go over two Broadway posters, a Burger King and a Taco Bell, it's not going to be read by anyone as indicating that they sponsored you in any specific way, that you are endorsing their products, that you are saying anything bad about their products. That is different to my mind. Then taking a legitimate historical figure like the Pinkerton Detective Agency, placing them into a fictionalized context, and then saying that that fictionalized context is close enough to historically accurate to justify their use, that it was a necessary use, and that it was protected entirely uh, by the First Amendment. But again, there is that natural tension behind the First Amendment and the Trademark Act. And you certainly could challenge the entirety, the existence of the Trademark Act, if you wanted to, by saying that it is a congressional abridgment of free speech. That's very likely to be a loser because it's been around a long time. And I think generally speaking, everybody's basically okay with how it functions at this point in time. Rockstar's not that silly. They're not dumb enough to go after that particular uh, mode of discussion. Uh, So what we're left with is simply an assertion the First Amendment protects us. They don't discuss the Trademark Act. They don't really discuss the Lanham Act other than to say it's a nominative uh, fair use, which is a section of the Trademark Act. That's the section that we just read as interpreted by uh, the courts. And they try to make that claim. But I do think that the fact that they have fictionalized so much of their universe does create problems for that claim, as we've discussed in this video. And then you see the final thing, which is their prayer for release, uh, prayer for relief, which is them asking the court. This is what they're saying. Hey, this is what we would like you to do court. Uh, We want you to say we're not infringing. We want our attorney's fees for having to defend this uh, and anything else that you deem just and proper. And that's what the entirety of the Rockstar claim is, is we are historically accurate. We released a game that uh, necessitates the use of things like the Pinkerton name. And we think that uh, if you take this away from us, other historical context games, other things in this media will be harmed, and we think we're protected by the First Amendment anyway. So that's an interesting case, and I think we've gone over the various reasons why I think that might be uh, a difficult claim to make, or at least a claim that is challengeable, By the Pinkerton Detective Agency. I think that in general Rockstar is right. There is a vast amount of leeway given to video game companies, given to movie makers, given to TV shows and book writers to use trademarks and brand names and things of that nature to depict uh, current status, to depict historical fiction. Uh, But in this particular context, I don't think it's the slam dunk that some in the video games media think it is, that someone maybe The reset eras the neo gaps of the world think it is and i think it's worthwhile to discuss which is why i made this video uh so if you have any comments or questions or if you have any other uh, feedback for me on this video uh, please do let me know please like and subscribe to this channel i i enjoy talking about these things i enjoy breaking down potential video game conflicts potential conflicts in the digital realm uh, on youtube and otherwise and i like talking about uh, all of these things with you uh, and to a great extent Uh, So, again, uh, this is Richard Hogue of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and thank you so much for watching.